remnant is the theme of Romans 9 to 11. After chastising the Jewish believers for their self-righteous behavior in Romans 9 verses 1 to 5, Paul presents the theme of his discourse, which is God's selection of a remnant. What Paul was going to present next would fly in the face of comfortable and well-established Jewish traditions of that time. Paul was going to use halakhic midrash to uncover a mystery from the depth of scripture that had not been fully known or appreciated before. Halakhic Midrash perceives a relationship between two verses that are legally and conceptually similar in order to draw out from the depth of Scripture some new understanding. I prefer to call this method of uncovering hidden meaning legal Midrash for two reasons. First, legal Midrash is easier to remember than the academic term Halakhic Midrash. Second, the conclusion drawn from the legal Midrash can be viewed as a law because it comes from God through his holy writings. The Jews, whom Paul was addressing, were apparently familiar with these methods of legal Midrash. I doubt that you are. I certainly was not. It took me years of study, poring through the academic literature, dialoguing with my Jewish colleagues who were knowledgeable in these methods, and spending many hours of struggling to understand what Paul was doing. My work has been reviewed by my colleagues at meetings of the Society of Biblical Literature. But let's, let's return now. I want to talk about the theme of Romans, which is the remnant. The first mention of a remnant in Scripture names Noah. After the flood, we learn that only Noah was left. The Hebrew word is sha'ah, meaning what is left or remains, together with those that were with him in the ark. That's Genesis chapter 7, verse 23. Now we must ask, why did God choose Noah? We learn that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Righteousness is a requirement for God's selection of those who will participate in the remnant. Then we see the Hebrew word translated blameless, which is tamim, that means unblemished. Tamim is used to describe unblemished animals given to God in sacrifice at the temple, and and first at the tabernacle, and then later at the temple. This sacrificial system is rich with symbolism and prophetic meaning. God's people are to give themselves as servants to the Lord, a form of sacrifice, where they offer themselves to God not as dead sacrifice, (laughs) but as servants in a holy condition. These are the righteous ones whom God wants and needs to serve him. The word tamim, meaning unblemished and without sin, appears again in God's instructions to Abraham. Walk before me and tamim. Be tamim. This is what God is telling Abraham. God instructs his servant Abraham as he instructs all his children Apparently, a righteous walk is possible in God's eyes. However, God knows that not all his children will achieve this righteous lifestyle of service. Those who do will be like Abraham, a holy and living sacrifice for God. The prophets in the writings pick up this theme of a righteous remnant. Listen to the words of Zephaniah. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel, She'erit Israel, and that's Arsha'ar, meaning left over, the remnant, will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. And that's in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 
Fortunately, God only sees the heart, a comforting understanding that is conveyed through the story of David. God was in the process of selecting the next king of Israel. Jesse, the father of David, brought before Samuel seven of his eight sons, from the eldest, the firstborn, to the youngest. The expectation would have been that God would select the eldest. But the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him, referring to the eldest. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. After bringing seven of Jesse's sons before the prophet, Samuel asked, are these all the children? No, replied Jesse. There remained one, the youngest, who was out tending the sheep. The youngest son, of course, was David, whose heart was right with God. Scripture continues to teach us about the requirements of the remnant through the narrative. An excellent example is Job, whose name God changed to Israel. Job purchased the birthright from his brother Esau and acquired the special blessing by deceit. However, God did not bestow this special inheritance of the birthright on Jacob until he deemed him worthy which occurred when God changed Jacob's name to Israel. A change of name is significant in Scripture because it indicates a change of character. The name Jacob means holder of the heel or supplanter because when the twin brothers were born, Esau emerged first and Jacob came next holding on to his brother's heel. Thus Jacob eagerly desired the birthright, but first he had to demonstrate that he was worthy. Therefore, Jacob's 20 years of difficult exile in Padan Aram was a period of training similar to the 40 years of wilderness wandering after the exodus from Egypt. When the exile ended, Jacob was returning to the land of Israel with his two wives, 11 sons and one daughter. Benjamin had not yet been born, plus all his animals and possessions. During the night before Jacob entered the land of his birth, he sent his family and possessions ahead of him, so he was left alone in prayer with God. Left alone is constructed with the verb yata, another word for the remnant. Thus Jacob was a remnant who was qualified to inherit the birthright as demonstrated by the continuing narrative that related his wrestling in victory with an angel. That's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 and 25. If you wish to learn more about the remnant, I have written a series of four books on the remnant that you can find on Amazon. I recommend that you read them in order, starting with Israel's inheritance, then moving on to a remnant of the church. Then the third book is the role of the remnant in the Great Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom, and ending with exciting disclosures in the end of time revealed in Israel's fall festivals.